If you enjoy listening to Voices in Cloud, check out David Linthicum's reports on gigaohm.com. They're about data complexity and cloud solutions, addressing many of the topics covered in this podcast series. Hey guys, welcome to the Gigaohm Voices in Cloud podcast. This is the one place where you will hear from industry thought leaders providing no-nonsense advice on how to succeed with cloud computing, IoT, edge computing, and cognitive computing. I'm Dave Linthicum best-selling author, speaker, executive, and B-list geek. And joining me today is my special guest and great good friend, Jason Bloomberg. Uh, Jason is a leading IT industry analyst, Forbes contributor, keynote speaker, globally recognized expert on multiple disruptive trends in enterprise technology and digital transformation. He's ranked number five on, uh, how do you spell this, Jason? On, on, on Analyticus? I guess, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> list of top digital transformation influencers of 2018, number 15 on Jack's list of top DevOps Influencer 2017, and the only person to appear on both lists. is founder and president of, digital, of Agile Digital Transformation Analysts for IntelliX. IntelliX, he advises, writes, and speaks on the diverse set of topics, including digital transformation, artificial intelligence, cloud computing, DevOps, big data analytics, cybersecurity, blockchain, Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, new code, low code, platforms. I'm not even going to read, go through the whole list, and legacy transformation and other topics. So, so catch the uh, listeners up. I think last time I talked to you was on the, uh, the CTP Cloud Technology uh, Doppler podcast. So what's been going on since then? You've been uh, prolific in Forbes. I mean, it's almost like a, a cartoon strip, the number of uh, articles you get out get on there. Yeah, it's great to be here. I do continue to write five articles a month for Forbes and uh, uh, president of IntelliX, an analyst firm, and we're up to three analysts now. So everything is going well. And uh, Crazy busy as usual. You know, weekends are really just uh, work days with no phone calls. Yeah, that's how I play. Weekends are catch up time. It's a time to get all the content done, things like that. I'm sure right, exactly. <laughs> using it for the same purpose. So, looking at your article that you published in Forbes uh, back in February 2nd this month, uh, 2019, uh, have private clouds finally found their place in the enterprise? Now, fill me in on this. I thought this was a fascinating article. I read it. I'm sure the readers didn't, but summarize it for us, and let's kind of have a discussion around this. Well, you know, we've been talking about private clouds for a number of years now, and uh, I actually referred to the the NIST definition from the last decade where they, you know, uh, sort of clarify the public-private uh, hybrid cloud distinctions. Uh, and public clouds, everybody sort of knows where, where we are with those, and, uh, you know, hybrid clouds, we sort of, you know, have a sense of what, what's going on there. But private clouds have sort of gone, they're sort of like the ugly stepchild. It's like in the early days, private cloud, was just sort of a, a vendor double speak. It was not really particularly private nor cloud, uh, right? It's just a, we're going to have virtualization in our data center. We're going to call it private cloud, or maybe we're going to take a public cloud and we're going to carve off some little, you know, uh, you know, net, network, uh, you know, you know, network partition, and we're going to call it private cloud. So there's a lot of sort of. Uh, uh, you know, funny business and, you know, hand-waving about what a private cloud was. That was the early days, and there's really been a, a lot of sh- changes now. And if anything, private clouds are coming into their own as part of this modern hybrid IT vision. And that's that's really what's changed, right? We didn't have this modern IT vision when cloud computing hit the scene, uh, you know, a dozen years ago. So I'm seeing kind of uh, public cloud kind of getting cloud-washed and all sorts of things. And so it's really... Never, you know, kind of the traditional, excuse me, public, uh, private cloud. It's never really traditional private cloud, such as OpenStack and CloudStack and uh, things like that. But, you know, now that the world of hybrid IT, which is kind of a new buzzword that's being bantered about out there, 
you know, private clouds are in essence anything that exists within a data center. And I'm not sure that's right. I think that we're, you know, leveraging private clouds as analogs of public clouds. And the fact they're able to do, um, you know, self-provisioning, they're able to do auto-scaling, they're able to do all these kind of cool features. Aren't we losing or diluting kind of the value of what a private cloud was, even though we never really saw it uh, in the concept? Well, I would say it's sort of the other way around that now that we are fine tuning what we want from the private part of the story and fine tuning what we want from the cloud part of the story, we're able to sort of have a better idea how private clouds fit into this overall ecosystem. So when you just listed some of, you know, core cloud-based uh, capabilities, so, you know, elasticity, resilience, uh, scalability, and the, uh, uh, you know, the uh, automated self-provisioning as well. All of these are capabilities that we look for from uh, any cloud, whether it's public or private. And so uh, those are becoming capabilities that are now understood as being desirable across the entire IT landscape, right? Even within on-premises IT, which is typically uh, virtualized or even legacy, you know, with non-virtualized we're st uh, on-premises IT, we're looking to hopefully get some of those cloud benefits as well. And this is really now an extension of the notion of cloud native, where cloud native originally meant, you know, we're going to build software in the cloud for the cloud, right? So, you know, you had, uh, you know, Spotify and Facebook and these guys were cloud native companies and their software was cloud native. From the enterprise perspective, it's really about taking these cloud capabilities, these architectural principles, uh, and, it, and saying that these are the way we want to do IT generally, right? It's not just in public clouds, it's anywhere. And so now we're saying, well, we could do it in public cloud, we could do it in private cloud, we could do it on premises, either virtualized or legacy environments. And that's the broader hybrid IT story. We're now Private clouds are saying, well, we want to bring this cloud goodness, but we need it to be private in the sense that maybe we have data sovereignty or security compliance issues that require us potentially to maintain our data on premises or uh, keep this behind our firewall or there's other specific definitions now that we would qualify as private. But it's less about where the, the, the underlying hardware is physically located and it's more really a, a question of uh, a matter of policy. So it's how we configure our hybrid IT environment that we can say as a matter of a logical distinction, well, this is our private cloud, but it may or may not be in a public cloud, maybe on premises and maybe somewhere else. It could be a, you know, a, a, a hosted co-location facility and it doesn't really matter. It's whichever, whichever of those is appropriate for the, the problems at hand. So it's becoming now more of a, a configuration choice as opposed to uh, implementation, a uh, physical implementation uh, decision. Yeah, I like those insights. And this is quoting from quoting you from the article. One of the primary drivers of this hybrid IT strategy is a realization that public clouds do not don't meet every enterprise need and that cloud first mm -hmm. or cloud integration strategy need not be at all about public cloud offering. So that's kind of smart because ultimately, you know, we're seeing kind of a pragmatic view of all this technology. And and I we have a tendency to kind of think in binary ways. And so Suddenly we started moving to cloud and I think every, every enterprise felt, the, felt there was a party going on and they weren't invited. And then suddenly when they had the opportunity to do it, you know, they tried to migrate everything that existed in their, um, on their, in their data centers to the cloud. And that's typically almost never going to be right. I mean, they're going to get a saturation point where it's uneconomically viable, you know, to migrate anywhere between 30 to 40% of the applications that I see within enterprises. And also the data federation, uh, you know, issues and the data security issues become paramount. I mean, what do I say to healthcare clients uh, where they have PEI, PII restrictions and certain 
European countries where they're not allowed to um, put the information on a, a public cloud that is able to do things intercompany, uh, sorry, intercountry. And, and so we've been probably oversimplifying the way in which we're looking at this. Is that kind of your, the gist of this? Well, that binary, you know, is it on-premises or is it in the public cloud? we got to move everything to the public cloud. That That is just not a realistic uh, way of thinking about the world from the enterprise perspective, right? There are many different variations uh, and many different concerns. And uh, as the technology and as the various offerings matured, you know, the, the vendors and the service providers have stepped up to the plate and come up with this, you know, range of capabilities. So, so and then the open source efforts as well have sort of uh, driven a lot of value in the marketplace place as well. So, so there's, you know, now there's, a, you know, a lot of, a lot of choices, uh, uh, you know, for, for the enterprise, uh, whether it's for a data sovereignty, you know, issue that you were talking about, or simply for a cost issue. I mean, this is an important point. I think, Dave, you've written about this over the years as well, is that the public cloud isn't necessarily the low cost option. It often is, you know, at the lower end, you know, as you're just ramping up, but at a certain point, you know, that cloud bill is just going to go way, way up. And at a certain point, you may as well just buy the damn servers and it's going to save you money. And, but there's a break-even point and it's different for every situation. So, uh, so with a private cloud, well, you can buy the servers if that's what you want your private cloud to be, or it could be co-located, or it could be a virtual private cloud in a public cloud. So there's all these different options. And now on the one hand, it's more complicated. On the other hand, there's, uh, uh, you know, there, as long as you know what you're doing, you can get the combination of capabilities that meet your needs. So what would your advice be to an enterprise CIO right now that's looking at public cloud and is considering hybrid IT? Uh, so, you know, going, um, you know, basically what would you, you say that they need to do to, in essence, make sure that they're hosting the workloads and the data in the right places? What's kind of the balancing act they need to consider? Well, it's great that you mentioned workloads because that's really the key to understanding how all of this fits together. Right? When we talk about hybrid IT, we're talking about you know, public cloud or private cloud. Private cloud could be uh, you know, uh, on-premises. It could be a hosted co-location facility. We could also be talking about virtualization on-premises, or you can now do VMware in Amazon. So there's all these different combinations, and then you also have your, your legacy environments as well. And all of that can be hybrid IT. I mean, uh, modern mainframe is hybrid IT now, right? It's just you know, everything is part of this story. But the real story is not about the environments, not about the deployment options. It's about the workloads. It's about having workload centricity. So you have a management approach to your IT that focuses on the workloads and what the requirements are for the workloads. Because remember, the workloads are where the applications live, and the applications are what are you putting in front of your customers. So that's where the rubber hits the road is the customer experience. And the customer experience is supported by the applications and how does the infrastructure the underlying uh, cloud choices support your uh, your applications. It's via workload centricity. So you want the underlying environments to be configurable as a matter of policy depending upon the needs of the workload. So if you need to move a workload or if you need to provision workloads in different places for different purposes or have a workload that, you know, workloads are an abstraction in and of themselves. They may be an application part of it. They may be a data part of it. You could be a multi-tier workload. You may have your data in one location and the application running somewhere else if that's appropriate. Um, either it could be specialized workloads like high-performance workloads that have specialized requirements. There's a whole range of different uh, options, but if you have this workload centricity, you're essentially connecting the dots between all of this underlying 
infrastructure technology and the customer experience, which is at the heart of digital transformation, right? Focusing on the customer and how you provide value to the customer. So it's a way to get out of this siloed thinking. Well, oh, we're private cloud over here. We're on premises over there. Mainframe guys are in that room over there. We never talk to them. It's a way of getting away from that siloed way of thinking and thinking, well, it's Let's think about what our customers need, and it may be a cross-cutting set of technology capabilities, and, and we want to build the appropriate abstractions to support that. And this is all part of this broader story of workload-centric thinking. So you think ultimately this is a planning problem. We're not really thinking through this or even dealing with the architecture of it. Uh, you know, Looking at the requirements as they back into the technology, we're in essence pushing forward and in, in operating in kind of reactive mode and you know, kind of managed by magazine mode if you never read magazines anymore in terms of chasing some of the shiny objects out there. And that's probably going to do some of these enterprises harm. Yeah, you could call it a planning problem or you could call it an architecture problem. Uh, I guess, you know, in a sense, it's an architecture problem, understanding how to build the appropriate levels of abstraction to support the, the various business requirements. That's essentially an architectural challenge. The planning challenge is in how do we get there, right? How do we go from where we are now, which is always messed up, right? <laughs> the current state of affairs at any price is always completely screwed up. And how do we get to this vision of greater agility, greater flexibility, and leveraging technology assets as appropriate to meet the needs of customers long-term? And that now becomes this you know, gradual process of maturation and of uh, uh, moving toward this, uh, you know, modern view of uh, IT, which, yeah, you can call that a planning problem as well as an architecture problem. So ultimately, you know, this is something that we uh, need to consider in terms of how we're dealing with the strat strategic layer of this. And I think that's uh, that's been missing from, I think, migration to the cloud going forward. There's mis misappropriation of applications, misselection of applications, uh, and certainly misselections of workloads, even, you know, kind of, uh, you know, looking at what needs to be, um, you know, refactored into cloud native systems and, you know, things like that. This is just going to be an ongoing problem going forward. I guess it's going to keep the consultants uh, uh, happy. Um, so yeah. I hope the enterprise just kind of pay attention to what's going on here. Another article. Well, yeah. well you know, Dave, you, Dave, you've been beating this drum in your writing and your podcast for, for <laughs> over a decade now. So if only people would listen. <laughs> Yeah, your your lips to God's ears. Yeah, just you know, no one no one ever listens to me. I don't know. I agree. I agree with me. I found out. So you wrote another article in Forbes that I thought was really interesting. You know, think you're cloud native only if you're doing this. Pretty catchy. So summarize this for us. I think this is a fascinating article. Well, I, you know, I mentioned a moment ago uh, how we think about the notion of cloud native. That it's not really about building writing software in the cloud. That's obviously a part of it. It's really about taking these core set of cloud best practices, right? The elasticity, scalability, resilience, uh, automated self-service provisioning, and there's a few others as well, but those are sort of the core, core group, and saying, well, these are IT best practices, generally speaking, right? Because how can we bring the cloud computing goodness to everything we're doing in IT, whether it's the mainframe, whether it's other legacy environments, well, I'm not, well, not necessarily calling the mainframe legacy, but, you know, legacy environments or the mainframe or, uh, you know, virtualized on-premises environments or all of these cloud options. We really want to, to leverage, we want everything to be resilient. We want everything to be scalable, right? We want everything to be elastic. That's just now the core set of best practice. So when we say cloud native, what we're really saying is that we want, we want to do everything following these core set of rules. And when you break those down into the specifics, there's a number of best practices that you can follow in terms of what does it mean to build applications? What does it mean to, uh, to 
you know, build a software lifecycle, right? And it becomes a DevOps-centric approach as opposed to a waterfall approach because that is part of what it means to be cloud native. Uh, and uh, so it's it's now essentially um, the way that we can achieve these benefits of hybrid IT, broadly speaking, is by leveraging cloud native best practice across all of IT. And I think that's, that's an important story um, for a number of reasons, right? One, we want to get away from this black and white thinking where it's like cloud or on-premise it's some sort of a black and white. We want to get away from that. We want to uh, understand that the notion of the cloud itself is really nothing more than a set of practices that can apply to different technologies in different contexts. That's part of the story of private cloud. Uh, and if we if we get to that point, then we say, well, how, you know, how do we make sure that we uh, meet our business needs? And, and then that connects the dots now back to the, the, the workloads. So I think this is a very profound uh, uh, quote from the article. And the reality, uh, there are many moving parts to cloud native architecture. And just a service-oriented architecture built upon in-tier architecture and virtualization-based cloud architecture did the same in turn. So too will cloud-native architecture leverage the approaches that came before while breaking new ground. That's, that's pretty cool. And I think that one of the things that I am finding, you know, whether it's a tool provider or even dealing with the enterprises that are moving things into the cloud, they're, they're not necessarily looking at history and what worked well, you know, with certain aspects of service-oriented architecture, certain aspects of... Um, um, you know, structured computing even and, and different, uh, you know, different architectural patterns that we used over the years. And this is a really a matter of looking at the history and basically augmenting them and putting new modern, modern takes on it. I mean, one of the things that's, that's my theory is that in IT, we never invent anything new. Everything's kind of invented on top of the work of other people, you know, that we thought about, you know, even when I wrote the AI book and you wrote the books as well. And, you know, ultimately we're building new architecture, a new way to looking on something on, on previous work or previous patterns that have already been established, typically not by one person, but by thousands of people. And we're not necessarily doing that as well as we should. We're kind of reinventing the wheel and uh, maybe we need more context and how architecture kind of evolved. Yeah, in a way, I mean, you could sort of take a pessimistic perspective saying that we're reinventing the wheel and, you know, us old guys, you know, we've seen it all and, the, you know, the young folks don't know what they're doing because they, they didn't live through client server and, and service-oriented architecture. But uh, I'd rather take a more optimistic view that what's happening is that uh, all of these various trends are individually maturing and we're understanding better how to fit these together. So, you know, I, I recently went to KubeCon, the Kubernetes conference uh, at the end of uh, last year and was really quite impressed at how many different stories have moved along, right? So so we, we were talking about service-oriented architecture, and obviously SOA is part of, uh, you know, is one of sort of the foundations of microservices architecture, but there's fundamental differences. And microservices architecture is essential to containers, but of course, containers are just the, the latest version of virtualization. But uh, you could say, well, it's just you know, re, you know repeating history. But if you look more closely, it's like we were actually learning lessons, right? We we're actually understanding. Well, virtualization took us so far. Containers take us that much that much further. Uh, SOA only took us so far. Microservices take us that much further. And you know, the story keeps going on, right? The the early generation of cloud computing took us so far, but now this notion of hybrid IT is taking us further. And th these things are starting to fit together very nicely, right? We were understanding better how to build the appropriate abstractions so as to achieve the things we want to do, right? We had SOA with web services. Web services turned out to be way more trouble than they were worth. Long came rest, took 
years for people to figure out how to get rest to work properly. Well, now we sort of, we've crossed that bridge. We know how rest is supposed to work and we know how to solve the problems of the earlier API approaches, web services and uh, tightly coupled APIs of the past. And, and so now all that is part of the story, but you don't want to pick any of these and say, it's what it's all about. It's not the API economy or the container economy, or it's all about serverless or all about blockchain. It's not all about any one thing, right? It's about the fact that we we're figuring all of this stuff out and it all fits together as appropriate. Uh, and there's still a lot more work to be done, but I would say that we're really making good progress. Yeah, I, I think we are as well. Especially, excuse me, I'm sorry. So what do you think the future will be for containers in, in this world? Is it just enabling technology just like anything else? Uh, you think it's going to be core to a lot of the hybrid IT development going forward? We're kind of arguing from the strategic to the tactical, but I think a lot of listeners are interested in that. Well, one of the interesting things about containers is that uh, you can think of them in and of themselves as a great thing, and they just, you know do all this cool stuff, and you know they you know they you could be deployed much faster, and they support you know ephemeral approaches to computing, you know, and they have uh, you know special uh, context with stateless uh, processing and all of, all of these things. But if you take a step back and say, wait a minute, there's more going on than just containers, right? We have um, serverless computing is sort of at one extreme. We have containers. We still have virtualization. Virtualization traditional virtualization, you know, what VMware has been doing all these years, still going strong. And then if you look at, say, what's going on with a modern mainframe, that is also sort of part of the spectrum. Uh, and so which is best? Which is best, modern mainframe computing or uh, virtualization or containers or serverless? Well, it depends upon the problems you're trying to solve, right? It's not that any one of those is better, but they all sort of fit on a spectrum, right? You can think of serverless as like an extreme uh, in one in one extreme and, you know, mainframe is on the other extreme, but it all fits together and it's a set of capabilities that now address different problems. So if you think about containers, yes, they're really good at certain things. If you want to build applications that are inherently dynamic and you want to leverage ephemeral uh, application functionality for your CI, CD uh, pipelines, then, well, that's great. But that doesn't apply to all your software. Some of your software, you, you just want it to run the same way every single day. You know, you want to do your core transaction processing the same way you've done it for the last 20 years. Well, that might, you might want to run, run that on a mainframe because that's what it's designed for and that's what it's still best at, right? So, um, so that, that's part of this maturation process is that understanding that it's all about the right tool for the job. It's not about saying that any particular technology or any particular approach is the best thing, right? It all depends upon the problems you're trying to solve. I couldn't say it better myself as Jason. That's why you're one of the better uh, writers, authors, speakers out there on this topic. And I uh, hope people start listening more to you because I think- <laughs> Well, thank you very much. <laughs> Appreciate that. So please pick up a copy of my book, Cloud Computing and SOA Convergence, available on Amazon and play other places books are sold. Also, make sure to follow me on Twitter at, at David Linthicum as well as LinkedIn, where I have several cloud computing courses on, on LinkedIn learning. So Jason, where can we find you on the web and go ahead and pitch your company? Yeah, well, Intellix is at intellix.com, I-N-T-E-L-L-Y-X.com. Uh, and my Twitter handle is the TheEbizWizard, T-H-E-E-B-I-Z-W-I-Z-A-R-D. Shows how, shows how much of a gray hair I am. It still has eBiz in it, but uh, I was, it, was, it was all about eBusiness back in the day. So it still is. It's all the same stuff. <laughs> well, anyway, please follow Jason. He's got some great content out there and uh, keep up with him because you'll learn a lot. So until next time, best of luck with your cloud computing projects. We'll talk to you again in about seven days. You guys take good care. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode of Voices in Cloud, please check out the other ones. 
Removing hybrid and multi-cloud complexity is the focus of a report that David wrote for GigaOM Research. To find out more about taking IT to the next level, download the single report or subscribe to GigaOM Research for future forward advice on data-driven technologies, operations, and business strategies.